The following audio is from West Pines Community Church. For more information about West Pines, visit us online at westpines.org. You can join us live Sunday mornings at 9, 10, 30, or 12 in Pembroke Pines, Florida, or online at westpines.org. Love is hard. I mean, it just is. Let me just come flat out and say what some of you are already thinking. Love is hard. I mean, I, look, I know it's nice and it's sweet, and we're in this marriage series, we're in this love series, but, but you know, love is all you need, right? And love will keep us together. All of those fluffy song titles, but, but genuine, real love, the love that the scriptures are about to tell us about, I mean, this is just flat out hard. I mean, so how many marriages in here have had some, some hard days with the one that you love the most? All right, guys, don't raise your hands on this, but, but, but how many of you had some, some hard days? I mean, like, that love and feeling just ain't there sometimes, right? I mean, sometimes what is there, you want to pick up and throw at them, don't you? So Nuri and I, we've been married 21 years. Yeah, there you go, 20. She has kept me, I mean, she has loved me for 21 years, and I love this woman. And she has loved me through some different and challenging seasons in our life. All right, so not just the time where I lost the kids. Well, I, I didn't really lose them. I left them somewhere, but I know, I know exactly where I left them. But um, Nuria, gee, we, we just operate differently. There are times and things that we just operate differently on. And you know what? Early on in my marriage, I, just, I didn't think that was a thing. Like, I didn't think that was a big deal. So when my son was a baby, when, when he was little, um, I decided that Ian was going to be a soccer player. Like, my brother's a soccer player, I'm a soccer player, my son is going to be a soccer player. So what I would do is, before he could walk, I would, I would lift him up by his armpits, and I would hold his torso, and I would swing his legs at a soccer ball. And some of you dads know exactly where I'm going with this. I would swing his legs at a ball, right? And as he got older, um, we would then, we'd be playing ball all over. We had this one favorite soccer ball. This is it here. This was our favorite ball. Um, we would play with it, kick it around the yard. We'd, we'd kick it around in the house. I mean, we just played with this all the time. And, uh, you know, my wife had this thing about kicking the ball in the house. Like, it was going to scuff up the walls. It was going to break something. And honestly, that, that frustrated me. It did because, I mean, I grew up with a brother. We kicked the ball in the house all the time, and rarely did we break anything important. So it was like it frustrated me. And, and out of my selfishness, I wanted to play, and I wanted to hang out with my son and have fun. I knew he loved it, so we did. And, uh, you know, uh, he's about six. He's a little older. And we were uh, one night, Nuri, again, trying to take away our playtime, right? She says, listen, stop kicking the ball in the house. Stop playing in the house. I'm going to go lay down in bed. So I looked at my son. I said, all right, vamos, papo, let's, let's just have a game before we go to sleep. And, and he just kind of looks at me. I said, come on, just one game before we go to sleep. It's only going to be for a few minutes. He's like, all right. So what I used to do is I'd get on my knees, and uh, we'd put the couch behind me, and he'd kick the, have to kick the ball past me to get it on the couch, right? That was like our game. So he kicks the ball the first time, and it hits the wall, and it goes, boom. We're like, shh. Okay, she didn't hear us. So we kept playing. And, and we were, it was going great. We were having a great time. And then the last, the last shot is just about when we were done. He takes this one shot, and it deflects off of my outstretched hand, and it's on a trajectory to hit the, the crystal vase that's on top of the glass end table on the other side of the room. And man, my heart is beating. I'm like frozen in fear. I turn and glance at my son. I've never seen a petrified six-year-old, but there he was. And I look back over, and the ball glances off the top of the vase. I watch it teeter and then wobble, and I am frozen in fear, like I can't move. It hits the glass table, it begins to roll off the table, and off, psh, on the tile floor. And I look back at him, and he's already gone, hiding under his bed or something. 
And so I listen, and, and, and I hear Nuria get up. I hear Mia gasp over here, and I'm like, oh, that's it. I'm going to end up just like this vase. Well, needless to say, um, we never played ball in the house again. Um, and, and honestly, this is, this is the first time that I share this story in public like this, you know, after all the therapy and all. Um, I just, this is the first time. You know, I know that this is a silly little example of my selfishness. It's a simple example of my self-centeredness, but it paints very vividly the picture of putting what I want and what I want to do and putting me before others, putting me before my wife in that case, putting me before you. But you see, love, love never says me before you. Love always says you before me. And the scriptures, the scriptures paint us this picture of love that most often humanity doesn't get. In fact, we rarely see love the way God intends us to. I mean, the world has a dysfunctional view about love, and God help us, we have a self-centered view of love. So this morning, as we talk through the things that the scriptures are going to tell us that love doesn't do, let this kind of cut deep. The scriptures are going to cut deep this morning. Allow this question to kind of be brought to the surface. In my marriage, is it me before you or is it you before me? And we're again going to be contending with the famous words from the Apostle Paul, his words on love in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. That's where we're going to be this morning. So if you want to find that in the scriptures, go ahead and turn to that. Find that on your device. It'll be up on the screen as well. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And as you're making your way there, let me just share with you. Man, the church at Corinth, and so this is Paul writing this letter to the church at Corinth, and that, that city in Corinth, the church of Corinthians, that city was a mess. It was an absolute mess. I mean, they were, they were riddled with division in every corner. They were rife with sexual immorality everywhere. And the church in that city was just as much a mess. So Paul writes these strong words. He cries out to them, as a plea for love. He is pleading with them for genuine, sincere, real, others-focused kind of love. That's the kind of love that he's pleading to this church with. So we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and actually, we're going to focus on parts of just two verses, 4 and 5. But what I'd like to do is, let me read um, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. Let's read that just for context. we get a picture of what's happening there. And then we're going to just circle back around and dive into verses 4 and 5. So if you would, meet me there. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, starting in verse 1. Are we there? Great. All right, here we go. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast, it is not arrogant or rude. Love does not insist in its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. 
Paul is writing these words to encourage, to teach, to train, to disciple these people. And, and as we look at, at, at this passage, as we, as we understand, let's zero in on verses four and five of this text. Let's zero in on that and let's see exactly what Paul is doing because everything Paul has said, all that Paul has communicated is a plea for love. In fact, what God calls us to a special and specific kind of life that's marked by a special kind of love. And Paul here gets very practical for us. He begins to get extremely practical in this area of the text. In fact, in verses four through seven that we just read a moment ago, Paul uses, inspired by the Holy Spirit, Paul uses 15 verbs to describe what love does and what love doesn't do. And in verses four and seven, where we're gonna be more specifically today, verses four and five, um, Paul there, again, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is gonna give us five things that love doesn't do. So let's, let's look back at that verse, verse four and five, at the five things that we're gonna spend the majority or the rest of our time on. And that's verses four and five of chapter 13 that says this. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. And it does not insist on itself. I mean, this, um, this list is, um, is, is, is a difficult one. I mean, this, this list is a challenge. Um, so we, we look at what Paul's saying. Man, these things are the things that love does not do. And we've zeroed in on that. And we say, well, well Paul, you're, you're writing these things and, and you're helping us understand that, that this isn't just a, you know, a nice list of what, of what we shouldn't do. It's not just a nice list of things not to do. I mean, it's something more than that. I would suggest to you this morning that the, the list, that list of items are the exact opposite of the way love behaves. It's the exact opposite of the way love behaves. Just think about that. Um, Envy, boasting. Rudeness, arrogance, and insisting on your own way. I mean, that's quite an uncomfortable list, isn't it? I mean, well, it's going to get a little bit more uncomfortable today. The scriptures are going to cut a little deeper because we're going to look at each one of those terms and we're going to see, well, well, this is what love um, is not supposed to be doing. This is what love doesn't do. So let's look back at those in the context of, okay, this is what the scriptures are telling us. And the first word that we come across there is envy. Now, this is flat out, this is straight up jealousy. This is you are jealous over what somebody else has or what somebody else has accomplished and you think you deserve it and I think I should have it and I'm jealous over that, jealous for them. It's straight up jealousy. This is me and a friend of mine, we're at work, maybe we're working in the same office, right? And all of a sudden, he begins to get all of the accolades and he begins to get all of the the compliments and the emails and the attention and then he gets the promotion that I wanted, the one that, that, that I thought I deserved so instead of me being content and happy for my friend, I'm, I'm like, wait, 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 hold on a second. I, I work just as hard as he does. I know just as, I've been here just, why didn't I get, how come they don't pay attention to me? Why are they not? I mean, it, this is all self-focused. This is straight up focused on yourself, caring nothing for the other person, just focused on me, and it is the opposite of the way love behaves. And let's look at that second term. I mean, this list doesn't get any easier. Boasting. I and mean, we all know these terms. We know what, what these terms mean, but, but this is what we see in our life. This is part of our experience. I mean, this is, this is building yourself up, right? 
This is, this is building yourself up, making yourself look good, parading yourself around. But here's a wrinkle for boasting. How about building yourself up to where you actually tear someone else down? You make yourself look good at the expense of someone else. I mean, that is selfish and self-centered. That is making yourself look good, building yourself up, not caring about the other individual at all. And Paul says, man, love doesn't act that way. That's selfish, that's self-centered. Look at this third one, arrogance. Now, arrogance, this is, this is the ugly twin of boasting, right? See, boasting on the outside builds up and, and builds yourself up and makes you look good on the outside so that you can tear someone else down so you look good and they don't. But arrogance on the inside is that, is that bubbling up of, man, you begin to think that you're better. That, wait, 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 I'm, 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 I'm wiser to that person. I'm better than that person. I'm more, intel- I mean, I'm more spiritual than that person. You begin to believe in your heart that, that this rottenness from the inside begins to grow and you begin to think that you're better than that other person. This arrogance is the opposite of the way love acts. Look at the last one, or look at the next one. The next one in our, in our list is rude. <laughs> our culture, our community has become so desensitized to rudeness. I mean, it's like not even a thing anymore to be rude. It's expected behavior. And, and, and we're expected to respond in kind that way. I mean, rudeness is rooted in selfishness. I mean, we, we, we say things. I say things and I do things that, that are unkind, that are hurtful, that are insensitive, and I don't care. Because rudeness makes me out to be the most important person. Because it's what I think, it's what I say. Well, it was true. Yeah, but, but it wasn't kind. Well, I was being honest. But you weren't being loving. Warren Wearsby, one of the great authors and theologians, says, man, truth without love is very simply brutality. All truth, all truth and no love. Brutality. That's rudeness. What about this last one that we're going to talk about today? Insist on its own way. And this demanding insistence, my way, the way I want it, when I want it, how I want it, in the manner in which I like it, demanding like that, insisting in that way, is absolutely uncaring for the other person. You are not concerned whatsoever. I am not concerned at all with that person there because it is all about me. And because I'm right, and because it's about me, I'm going to insist and demand my way. That's insisting on your own way. Allow the scriptures this morning to instruct us. Allow the scriptures this morning to to, to help us grow in this respect. I mean, Christians, is this the way we are loving? And and maybe you're not a Christian today. Maybe, Maybe you came with a friend and maybe you got invited and you're here today. Well, let me ask you this. Do these things mark your lives? Envy and boasting arrogance and rudeness and insisting on your own way? Do do those things mark your lives? See, Paul here, his desire, love, love doesn't do these things. Love stands opposed to these things. Genuine love, real love, the kind of love that the scriptures are now presenting us with stands opposed to that list. And Paul's desire here, Paul's care here is to, is to um, refocus and redesign our thinking in that when we love, we are focused, the, the focus of our love is not on me, but it's on you. That the focus of my love would not be on myself, but it would be on others. 
This is, this is how Paul is directing this. It's, it's an others-focused kind of love. This is what the scriptures are telling us this morning. See, you and I, I mean, we, we love all kinds of things, right? I mean, we just kind of throw that word around. We, we love, man, we love chocolate. I, and I do, I love chocolate. I mean, who's got a Samsung 8 in here? Samsung 8, you, you love that, right? I'm going to get one too because I think I'm going to love it. I mean, we just love all kinds of things. You can think of your own list. We just do, and here's the problem with that. We have, we have overused and undervalued. We have watered down and withered this word, this great truth, love. And Paul here, he is elevating our thinking. He is elevating our thinking that it's not just a nice word or a novel concept. It's not the cheapened version, but it is the highest descriptor of what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. That it is the highest mark of what it looks like to love God and love Christ and follow him. That this, this genuine love, that this real love would mark your relationships. That it would define your character that it would display your attitude, that kind of love. And now Paul uses, again, inspired by the Holy Spirit, Paul uses a very specific word in communicating the kind of love that God wants us to know about. He uses the famous Greek word agape. Now that's important for you to know because that word carries with it the weight of preference. It carries with it um, the weight of preference over self for others. So the thrust of, the, uh, of this word defined is it, is it is a love for others over self. So it is, it is you before me, not me before you. The weight of this word is a love of preference, an others-centered kind of love. So as, as we look at what the scriptures are telling us this morning, we see this is the kind of love with which God has loved us and calls us to love others. And yet we see that list, that, that uncomfortable list that we talked about that encircles us and that kind of feeds into all of our relationships. Man, let's, let's, this is the hard part now, right? This is the challenge because those things just don't exist in life. They just don't exist in your environment. They exist in your marriages, in marriages in this room. And these, my friends, are marriage killers. So we're gonna go back through that list and we're gonna look at how these things rear their ugly head, how they bubble to the surface so that we can define them and we can rebuke them or we can rebuff them. The first one that we looked at earlier was envy. Again, straight up jealousy, right? So let me just ask the hard, uncomfortable question. Are you jealous over your spouse? I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe you think... Um, you know, you're the, you're the wiser person here. Maybe, maybe you're jealous over an accomplishment or over a goal they attain, attention they're getting that you're not getting. I mean, are, are we jealous over our spouse's victories? I mean, so, so when one wins, do you both win? Or when one wins, just one wins? I mean, this, 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 this jealousy is, is a difficult spot to be in, this envy. Because, you know, we, we, we put the importance on ourselves and we focus on ourselves and, and we neglect and we um, turn away the other person. I mean, this is in, in, when, when you're, you're in, out with people and, and you're, you know, you've got uh, some couples with you and uh, you're talking about some different things and you're in discussion and, and, it's, and it's ugly because, you know, this is when, you know, you, there's one couple there and, and one is like, you know, one starts to dig on the other. One starts to bring up the negatives of the other. 
I mean, one starts to do those things, and that's just uncomfortable, right? Envy and jealousy feed those things. So, like, is there, is there something that, that, man, when was the last time you gave credit to the other one in the relationship? When was the last time you gave credit to your spouse for a goal that was attained, for something that was accomplished, for a milestone that was reached, man, for, for a, a loan that was paid off, whatever it is? When was the last time you gave each other credit? When was the last time you gave your spouse a high five for reaching that? Like, when was the last time you did that? In fact, husbands and wives, right now, go ahead and just give each other a high five. Just, yeah, yeah, there you go. Just give it there and see how hard that was. Just give each other a high five. Look, this is how love responds. Love celebrates the victories. It doesn't get envious and jealous over one's got this attention or that and the other doesn't. Man, love celebrates those things and, and builds the other up and celebrates those victories. It's not envious or jealous. Envy is about getting. Jealousy is about keeping. But love, love is about preferring. Envy is about getting. And jealousy is about keeping. But love is about preferring, preferring the other over self. Let's look at this next word. The next one on our list. After envy, it's boasting. I mean, now we, we know what this term is, right? So we build ourselves up. We make ourselves look good. We parade ourselves around while we tear down the other person. We make ourselves look good and we make the other look bad. So that, that's the kind of boasting that we're talking about. And my friends, love does not behave this way. A great author and theologian writes in his commentary, Gordon Fee writes this, that the, it is impossible for someone to love and boast at the same time. I mean, it's, the, it's ugly and it's hard to look at, but you see these situations in relationships that you know, in circles and environments that, that maybe we hang out in, where you're together with couples, and then this one couple, you know, they, they begin digging on each other, like I said earlier. They begin bringing out the negative, right? They begin maybe one-upping each other, and it's uncomfortable and it's weird, and you, and you just don't want to be a part of that. But what if, what if we were to brag on the other person? Like, like, what if we were to build up the other one instead of tearing them down? What if we were to say things and do things that, that build up the other person instead of building up ourselves and we don't tear them down? Like, like what would that look like? How would that change the dynamics of not just the conversation, but of your entire marriage? What would that look like? You know, my wife, uh, she's fantastic at reading the emotional states and the mood swings of my kids. She's just, I mean, like, she's like a psychic with this or something, right? So my daughter will come home and be like, hey, baby, how are you? How was your, and you know, you get that ominous silence, right? The sky grows dark, yeah? Dad, you know what I'm talking about? That you go to hug your precious little girl, she ducks under your arm, darts down the hallway and closes the bedroom door. I'm like, muñeca, pero, pero que esto? Like, what is that? What's going on? And like, listen, Frank, relax. Take a deep breath. Breathe. As she walked by, I read the micro-expressions on her face, and this is what's going on, and everything's fine. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. She's like a rock star with these things. That, but that's, that's not boasting in the other, not in yourself. Look at this next word. Arrogance. All right, this we said was like the ugly twin of boasting, right? This is the silent um, um, a killer, the stealthy one that kind of rises up from inside you because what this on the, on the outside, you're boasting and you're building up, right? But on the inside, it's rising up and you, and you begin to believe that you're better. So let me ask this uncomfortable question. How do you view 
your spouse. I mean, maybe, maybe you think that, 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 that you're the wiser one. Maybe you're the better parent. Or how about this? It gets a little more personal. Maybe you think you're the spiritually mature one. I'm the spiritually mature one. That's right, I am. My friends, that's nothing but spiritual arrogance. See, arrogance shows up in a marriage riding a white horse and wearing an I'm number one t-shirt. That's how arrogance plays out. That's how it shows up. Now, now if your marriage is thriving and it's healthy and it's full of joy and it's dynamic, praise God for that. But, but newsflash, I mean, that's because God is at work in both of you, right? Let's look at this next one. Rude. This is so commonplace. This is so common in our households, in our families, in our marriages. This is so common. I mean, it's like not even a thing anymore. It's like, like rude isn't even bad anymore. I mean, the problem with rudeness is that it places you at the very center. It makes you the most important individual in that area. That what you have to say, what you have to do, where you're at is more significant than everyone else. So this, you know how this plays out in marriage? This plays out where you know, you're in conversation, again, same scenario with a group of people, and your spouse is speaking. And you think that, that you've got a wittier point, or you've got a more intelligent point to make, or you've got something smarter to say. So in the middle of your spouse's sentence, you kind of jump in, you break in, and say what you need to say because you're more important. Or, or how about this gem? Where, where you're in public, that same scenario, right? And uh, your spouse is speaking, and you correct your spouse in front of everyone. Now, now you highlight the fact that they're wrong and you correct them in full view of everyone. Brothers and sisters, that's just rude. It's insensitive and it's unkind. I mean, you correct and discuss in private. You praise and you build up in public. I mean, sometimes we say things to our spouses that we would never say to friends or, or co-workers, or a boss. I mean, love has manners, right? I mean, love, love can't be rude. It's too busy being respectful. And then this last one, finally we get here. I know I'm sweating too. Insist in its own way. I mean, this demanding insistence. Here is the basic problem of the entire human race. Selfishness. Now, I know all of these are rooted in selfishness, but this one comes out in a particular kind of way because, I mean, this, this is the marriage killer right here because you know what this says. This says, I'm always right. I'm never wrong. I mean, so I insist and demand my own way because I'm right, you're not, and that's dangerous. That just is. That, that's like back in the day where the husband refused to stop for directions because he knew where he was going, but you know they are totally lost out of your mind. This is me not wanting to listen to the GPS, knowing I'm right and that thing's wrong, and that rarely has worked out well. <laughs> listen to me, marriages, husbands and wives, relationships, listen. In your life, there should be no area of your life that you do not value or seek the input of your spouse. No area across the board. I remember our... our <laughs> Uh, one of our first fights, or our first fight, mine and Nuria's, and, and actually we called it a disagreement because we didn't want anybody to know we were fighting. And um, I, I remember I, what I would do is I, I would do something wrong. I would say something wrong. I would blow up the piece in the house or whatever. And, and my wife, she would stop talking to me. So I, I knew that I had messed up. I had screwed up when Nuria would not talk with me, right? 
So, um, and what I would do when that happened is I would follow her around the house and I would say, Nuria, what's wrong? Nuria, what's the matter? Nuria, we need to resolve this. Nuria, let's talk. Nuria, let's do it now. Because I was so focused on demanding what I wanted to do now. I wanted to get it done before lunch. But my wife, she's a process thinker. So, you know, she, she's, she settles her emotions. She thinks through uh, what, what she's going to say and how she's going to say it. And then we sit down and have the discussion. Me, I had no clue about that because I was too concerned about what I wanted, when I wanted, how I wanted it. I was not being loving. I was being selfish and self-centered. That rarely worked out well either. Um, but, but, but that's not love. That's being selfish and being self-centered. And, and in all of this, here, here's the hard part. Here's the difficulty that we have. Here's the, the scary part. And we say, this is too hard. This is too much. This is too hard. Do you know how rude he is? I mean, do you know? She is so arrogant. I mean, how am I going to put him first? This is, this is too hard. It is a lost cause. But hey, 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 this is where we need Jesus. This is why we need Jesus. I mean, this is the kind of love that, that, that gathers instead of pushes. This is the kind of love that brings people to you that would be easier to cast them away. Now, yes, you know, it's hard and, and it's difficult. And there might be times where go get good, solid Christian counseling if needed. Definitely seek help or maybe a time of separation if needed. But it is not a lost cause. It is not, don't throw it out. Don't run away from it. In fact, this kind of love has never met a totally lost cause because it's focused on the other person. It's you before me. It's others before myself. And God gives us a picture of this. God gives us a model. He gives us a clear picture in the scriptures. The gospel presents us with a clear model for us to follow. In fact, and arguably, one of the most famous verses in all of Scripture is John 3.16. And, and you've seen it on bumper stickers and billboards alike, but, but when we've looked at this verse, have we considered the weight of every word? John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever should believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world. So, so loved. He didn't, he didn't love it a little. He didn't love it marginally. He so loved the world. He, he gave more. He loved more. This is an intense, there is, there is an emphasis here. And he loved the world. There, not, not just a few. I mean, there's no exception to his love. And he loved the world so much in such a way that that love caused him to give. He gave, and he just didn't give, eh, a couple things that might help us out. He just didn't give us a set of rules. No, no, he gave what was most priceless and precious to him. He gave us his son. He gave us Christ. Now, now, now I know we've heard the verse, and, and many of you have interacted with it in some different contexts, but have you ever thought about this? Why? Why would God do that? Why would God give his son? Because it was the most loving thing he could do. See, the story of Jesus is personified love. The story of Christ is, in fact, in these verses that we've read, many have said you could remove the word love and insert the name of Jesus and you would be perfectly accurate in doing so. I mean, we look at these verses and, you know, sometimes I think, well, well maybe it's just we just don't really fully understand what kind of love we're talking about, the depth of love that's here. Maybe we don't fully see that, that this kind of love 
This, this love that prefers others, man, this love that God is telling us about, it's invincible, it's unstoppable, it's insurmountable. This kind of love is absolutely astounding. In fact, Paul, the author of Romans, also the author, of, the author of Corinthians, writes another letter to another church, the one in Rome, and he writes these startling and striking words about the kind of love with which God has loved us. It's absolutely stunning. In fact, I would be remiss if I didn't read it to you. I'm going to turn to Romans 8. And we're just going to look at what Paul says to that church quickly. Paul writes this. I'm going to start in verse 33. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? It is Christ Jesus, the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? I mean, the rhetorical answer, the rhetorical question has an answer. The answer is nothing. Nothing shall separate us from the love of God. In fact, in a few more verses, right there in that same chapter, he goes on to say, now all of these things, we are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor things present nor things to come, nor height nor depth, nor any other thing in all of created universe will separate us from the love of God. I mean, that's the kind of love with which God has loved you. That's the love of preference. He did all of that out of preference for you. That's the love that took Jesus from the throne to the cave, from the cave to the grave, and from the grave back to the throne. It's that kind of love. And my friends, we can't display that kind of love if we have not surrendered to that kind of love. So the scriptures would call us to not only recognize that this is how God has loved us and loves us and calls us to love our spouses and love others. But today, this is your moment. This moment right here, right now is your moment. If you have not reached out to that love, if you have not trusted in Christ and trusted him for that love, now is the moment to do that. And yes, we're gonna pray together in just a moment, but, but I wanna remind you, this prayer will not save you. But the confession of your mouth that Jesus is Lord and the belief in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, that will save you. And your life will be filled with that kind of love, thereby giving you the opportunity and advantage and necessity of loving others in a way God has called us to love them. So if that is you today and you have not yet reached out to him, you can pray with me. And we're gonna bow our heads and close our eyes now. We're gonna, and I'm gonna pray and you can pray this with me to trust in this love, to trust in this Christ. Father, I need, I need Jesus. I need this kind of love. So I, I turn from myself. I turn from my sin. I turn from my way. And I put all of my trust and all of my faith in Jesus. I want to love my wife. I want to love my husband. I want to love others this way. Help me. Thank you for loving me the way you do. I believe in, in his death and his resurrection for me. And I thank you, Jesus, that you have loved me this way. I ask you to save me. And it is in the precious name of Jesus that I ask this. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at westpines.org.
if you would like to speak with somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, please call at 954-432-0321 or you can email us at podcast at westpines.org.